Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars pertaining to game design and publishing. This panel has been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and Metatopia 2019. Episode 244, Creating Safety Tools for Tabletop RPGs, presented by Kate Bullock, Camden Wright, and Bronwyn Sperling. And that's safety. Instead of being like, how do I build my game safely? So this is kind of how we're going to talk about safety and gaming for this panel, and we'll do a lot of discussion and questions because there's not a ton of you, so we'll talk. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so for the two of you, what are some games that you think handle safety really well in an organic way, where it is actually just part of the game? You can even talk about your own games here, obviously, which is why I asked you both to be here, because sure. I think you handle them brilliantly. Yeah. Well, I mean, one thing, or one game that's not mine that I think really uh, approaches safety really well, Bluebeard's Bride, I really enjoy how, like, it's, it's Bluebeard's Bride tackles some very difficult subject matter. It's, uh, for those of you who don't know, it's, uh, it's a game about, um, a woman who has become uh, the bride of Bluebeard from the from the eponymous poem of Bluebeard. Um, she's going to get murdered horrifically for opening the door that she should not open, and it's uh, it, it's some really dark subject matter. And the players all play uh, different parts of this woman's mind, um, and uh, and as as she explores the house, and. Uh, the way it approaches safety, I mean, it, it's it's very big on the, on including the X card, and that's that's good and cool. 
but um, what I feel is like the, the much more important part for safety in, in that is is uh, some of the um, very firm guidelines on um, on what gets to be sympathetic in that game and what doesn't get to be sympathetic in that game. Like um, Bluebeard, the horrific murderous pirate, never gets to be ever a sympathetic character in the game. You you do not do that. We are not normalizing this murderous abuser as as like a a you know just a, a man with a traumatized past or something like that. You don't do that, and that helps create a safer atmosphere in which to play this this horrifying fiction. So that's something that I really enjoy. Um, and then uh, for one of my own games, um, Hot Alien Sex. Um, I, uh, I, in, in the writing of the book, I, I very much approach it from, I can't keep you safe. No matter what I write in this book, I can't, I can't protect you. Um, and so instead, I'd like to tell you what I think a respectful partner is and would do in this game for you. And if you, yeah, if you then find you don't have a respectful partner, then you have choices to make. And there's not a lot of guidance I can give you in that other than, I would not play this game with a partner who was disrespecting me. And so I, I walk people through saying no in the game and, uh, and getting comfortable with saying no to each other in the game uh, in, in my instructions. And yeah, I, 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 I really emphasize deeply, because it's a game about, about uh, narrating touch with one another and exploring each other's bodies, um, not as players, but as characters. I had to emphasize that a lot. Um, <laughs> So it's like before any move, any any interaction, there's always like, and is this kind of a touch okay? Are you up for this right now? Yeah, okay, well then let's go for that. Every single move of the game. And if you don't have a respectful partner, you will find out fast. <laughs> so, um, and, then, and then you have choices to make because I, the game designer, can't protect you. I can just give you the tools to maybe protect yourself. Um, so, uh, one of the things, uh, calling back to, to Bronwyn's game, uh, one of the things that I love to see in games is beyond the opportunity to say, no, I don't want that, um, it's the opportunity to say yes. Um, and I think that that is one of the things that Hot Alien Sex does that I dig. It's, it, it is that, do you want this? It is that, uh, that active consent, not just rejection of something that's unacceptable. Um, so I think that any time I see that inside of a game, it, it makes me really happy. Um, and then there's games that a lot of people, I mean, maybe it's my weirdo brain, uh, but I think that uh, pacing and tone setting in very specific directed ways is a very big piece of safety mechanics. I think a game that does this really well is dialect. Um, so there is a, an arc to the story. Um, you know when there are times when uh, a, a section is going to come to a close. You have time in that built in to debrief and to take a break. Um, you know that uh, the things that you are building are going to eventually go away. Um, and I think that that structure and understanding and buy-in all the way around, and that ability to say, yes, this is what I want, uh, is undervalued inside of games. Yeah, uh, for me, I'm actually gonna call back to Bluebeard's Bride as well because there's a move in Bluebeard's Bride called Shiver with Fear. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, it's a move where when your player shivers in fear, not the character, but when the player shivers in fear, ask them what they're most afraid of having happen and then tell them how it's worse. What's really interesting about this move is it lets the player tell you what they're okay with having happen. They're like, what's the worst thing that could happen right now? Man, that I would have to eat that spider and it would crawl inside me. And you're like, yeah, and then it's gonna lay eggs. But it lets them consensually tell you, this is the direction I want this horror to go, without you having to just like lay on some body horror and hope they're okay. Um, I think that's a really brilliant move that is full on about the safety of the players being able to say, here's where I'm okay going. And a lot of PBTA games, which is mostly where I live, um, don't do that. It's the opposite. You have like, you roll, you either succeed or you don't, and the GM will give you a hard move. 
right? Instead of you giving yourself the own, your own moves. Like, I think it's really brilliant. It's really, really, really smart. Uh, the other game I really want to draw attention to is, oh, I just lost it. Vincent Baker's The Tech, The Mech Game. Uh, uh, fire Reds. Oh, Fire Reds. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the Steal a Moment, I think it's called. So there's little mini games in that game. So while everyone's doing things, you choose a mini game to play. And one of them is Steal a Moment, I believe it's called. And that's where, like, in a mech romance, you know, the two of you abscond somewhere and you have a moment. And in that moment, you're like, I lift your helmet. May I? And you're like, yes, you can. Or you can, but I look away. Or no, you may not, and I leave. Um, so it gives you the, the variety of scope from like yes and, or to no but. Um, and you can just be like, yeah, man, I'm out of here. Right? So it's building that consent culture right into the move and on a spectrum of options instead of just like the hard no or the hard yes. And, and actually continue on, continuing on how Firebrands does that, um, like even in its, in its uh, other little mini games, uh, it, it, it focuses on, on like uh, that, that very consent angle for what's going to happen to you even like in its when you're when you're having fights or duels or, or doing war, um, what you're doing in the uh, in, on your action is saying like if you want to continue this 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 fight another round or whatever, it, you you get to describe what you're willing to have happen to you in that instance to continue the fight, and then you hand it to the other person and are they willing to continue it? Cool, then that they get to describe what terrible thing befalls them in it, and on and on and. and it's, it's not about doing onto the other person, but rather what does continuing to fight cost you and, and how does it affect you and not doing to others, which is a cool thing and, and a, very, a very interesting way of making that, that uh, deep emotional violence safe yeah. to, to explore. Sure. Um, so obviously most of us didn't start designing safety like the best. Like, I think you, you're pretty great. Um, in terms, well, Montreal Tarot is like your first published, and like it's full of safety. Um, but how did your views on safety change from like your first play experiences to designing to engaging in the community now? Uh, so I was a really shitty person when I was young and doing like D and D design stuff. Um, I was I was too edgy for you. Um, go figure. And uh, and and. When I was, I don't know, in my early 20s, and if, had I heard about stuff like the X card, and I think I did actually hear about Lines and Veils at the time, and I was like, fuck that shit, weaklings. Anyway, um, I've come a long way, and I feel very good about that. Um, now, like, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I, now I'm at the point where, like, I, I went through a period where I was, like, really rah-rah safety tools, and now, now I'm at the point where... Uh, in conversations, I'm comparing safety tools in games to workplace safety equipment. Like, the X card is great, much like a hard hat is great, but the hard hat's only going to get you so far if you don't have safe practices in your work environment uh, beyond, like, having hard hats and having harnesses so you don't fall off. The, the greater... Like, well, well, having those tools, those, those, uh, those, those like, um, OSHA requirements, that like that those are absolutely necessary having your x card or or lines and veils or whatever you end up putting together to to help protect you on that in the moment thing those are all very necessary i'm now at the point where i'm like how can i encourage people to care for each other because <laughs> it's like it's such a hard thing to convince people to do sometimes and and yeah that's where i'm at and then like i think my my the greatest um, example of that i've seen is is how avery uh, in her game uh, Dream Askew is like, cook for each other. Bring a meal. Share it. Then play. And, and it's, it, 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 yeah, so like bringing, bringing that like feel of care to each other and, and is, is where I'm at now. And, and how can I design that into games? Whereas, you know, once I was like, fuck you, get edgy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
Um, so I used to take the uh, sign in a bar approach to doing it. So like, if you walk into a bar and there's a stuffed grizzly bear and there's a sign that says "Do not climb on the grizzly bear," it's because somebody tried to climb on the grizzly bear at some point. And so I had this list of you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do this. It would grow in time, you know. Um, I, I had these very specific in my game. You are not uh, you are not allowed to torture children. Um, the reason that that exists is because there was a specific person that tried to do something terrible inside of a what was supposed to be a very family-friendly game, and so I made that a rule. When we're drinking, ask me about Dave. <laughs> I will. Um, so, um, beyond, I mean, that's not a sustainable practice inside of, of uh, running RPGs, and especially inside of designing RPGs. So, um, I have come to look at it. How do we all buy in? How do we, at the beginning, how do we say yes and agree to what this is going to look like? And how do we have the ability to say no if we change our mind or something else comes up? And I think that that's why that holistic approach to um, having the safety tools that exist or improving on them, and on top of that, uh, creating an experience where everyone knows what they're getting into, have all actively agreed to be a part of that and what it looks like, and then moving into that space. Um, so how do you recognize where safety is needed in a game? Is that a trick question? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like, literally, if you pick up another person's game, or when you're designing your own games, and you're like, you know, I need something here. How do Because a lot of people, again, aren't approaching it that way. They're approaching it as, like, we'll slap an X card on there and call it a day. So when you're designing your games, or you're helping other people design, how, what are you looking for when you're like, oh, no, we need safety here? Oh, what are your <laughs> orange flags? Yeah. Does that make sense? Sure. Good. Uh, I'd like to think for a moment. Okay. Um, so um, I, I, I've, uh, I say this a lot, but I think that um, the art of games and, and making uh, RPGs in particular is uh, creating real emotion from imagined situations. And I think that any time you are designing in a space where you are uh, encouraging intense personal emotions, um, you need to put extra thought into the repercussions of that and to the structure of that. Okay. So anytime there are high impact emotions? Uh, anytime. Well, and I, I think that uh, even beyond just saying high impact, because a lot of people think that that's you know, trauma or intense sadness. But I think that even in uh, a situation that is positive and you're encouraging intense bonding between the people at the table, even in a game that is inherently sweet um, like BFF, um, which is teen girls and you've got these cute little standees and there's some charm bracelets and it is this very wholesomely designed game. But you are also bringing people together in a really intense and personal way. And so, even inside of that, that's not traditionally thought of as high impact, I think that it's important to be thoughtful in how you construct that. Um, if, I, if I see a game, and it's, or if I'm designing a game for that matter, and, and it's dealing with, um, as, a, as a direct topic, angles of marginalization, um, no matter what, the, what angle it is, um, that's where I immediately start looking. Okay, where are the handrails? Where, uh, where, where, where are where are cleared paths? Um, and if they're not there, that's where I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to structure a thing into when I'm playing this game because, like, when you're even when you're writing from your own marginalization, like I'm I'm queer, I'm disabled, I'm trans, um, and so when I'm writing from that, I don't get to just disregard the fact that, you know, other queer people, other trans people will be playing those games and we'll be seeing people who don't share those marginalizations playing those games. And so when I'm designing, I need to make sure that, that I have accounted and for, and I'm accountable to those, those um, high-risk, high-test areas, right? Um, and that's, uh, that would, that would like, that'd be my biggest orange flag uh, of where I look for where I look for safety and where I look to design safety is is angles of marginalization. Um, what 
Okay, I need to uh, I need to evacuate. Okay, um, that's that's it for me. Um, <laughs> things have started to wobble. Um, Robin's not feeling well. I have a concussion. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned that earlier. What do you mean? Um, I think I need to hold on to somebody's arm while I head to my room. Okay. Um, I will answer questions. Thank you all. Um, I'm going to do this slow. Well, yeah. Hope that was helpful to y'all. And feel free to approach me when I'm not dizzy and ask me more. Cool. Roman, take care of yourself. I will answer questions. I am a safety editor. You have me at your disposal. What do you mean? <laughs> yes. Um, I had one. Uh, so. Uh, something I really value uh, in the games I make and like the stories I tell or whatever is uh, elements of surprise. And I try to approach it like before we even begin the campaign, before we even sat down for our first session, like making sure that I'm clear about like, you know, whatever topics are going to come up, whatever themes, are there anything you're not okay with or anything you want to put on the like list or to not go into or whatever, blah, 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 and like cover all that. But I want to like make sure that I can maintain like a decent element of surprise and shock sometimes while still preparing them for what might come up and I don't know what's your advice on how to balance those two because they kind of are at odds. I mean it depends on what you're shocking them with right yeah. so like here's what I generally do because I run a lot of work right and I'm a massage therapist in my real job and um, I'm really really good at visceral descriptions of what happens to your body when it gets injured um, so I get X-carded which is great, right? Um, but, so, anyone here familiar with kink culture? Kink culture, BDSM, that kind of stuff? Cool. So in a proper kink relationship, not Fifty Shades of Grey, um, before you do a scene, ideally you're laying out all the things on the table that could happen during the play session, okay? And your partner will be like, you know what, I really like this thing here. I am not so much into this other thing. Can we take that off the table? And as a good partner, you say absolutely, right? So in horror, when I'm going to run like Bluebeard's Bride, I'm going to be like, so hey, I run a lot of body horror, which means things in you, things coming out of you, things going in with your skin and melding and like things growing and things shrinking and like body horror. Is anyone not into that? And someone might be like, you know what? I'm okay with it, but just like don't put things in my mouth. I don't want to know what happens when that happens. I'm like, cool. Things in the mouth are off the table now, right? So I appreciate surprise and shock because it escalates our adrenaline. It causes an endorphin boost, and that means people are bought in, and that's what you want to do with horror. Like That's why you're playing a horror game is to give people the heebie-jeebies, essentially. Mm -hmm. But what you do beforehand is you put all the things on the table and that's what needs to come off. Yeah. Right? So you don't need to say like, in three hours from now, you will walk into a room and you will discover someone eviscerated and their organs in little jars and people worshiping at an altar of blood. You don't need to say that. But you do need to say like, body horror and like, uh, gore, because that's gore. Yeah. Right? Let's be clear. And like organ gore, and not just like someone has a nail go through their hand. Like, uh, you have to be kind of specific in terms of what toys you're going to play with. You don't have to say how they're going to manifest because people will still be bought in, right? People actually struggle with surprise because it makes them anxious and it makes them waiting for it if they know something's going to happen. That's why, like, when you watch a horror movie, you actually generally enjoy it better the second time because you now know what's happening and now you're just focused on the story, right? Uh, so I think it's absolutely fair and consensual to say like here's all of the things that could happen take off the ones that don't and then roll with the ones that do obeying your lines and veils uh, but like when I run games I this is the full content warnings here's everything that could happen uh, and surprise is only fun if people are like yeah fucking surprise me right and they know what the surprise like if I'm gonna go watch 
the Joker movie, I'm gonna look at it beforehand and be like, here's what the Joker movie's about. I'm not gonna like go and block, right? Because then I could walk in and be like, wow, it's about a guy who gets oppressed too much and then decides to kill people. I'm not into that, right? So, yeah. So my best advice for shock and surprise is as long as it's consensually decided upon because of the things you put on the table. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Just making sure like these things will come up in the game. At some point. At some point. Yeah, are you cool with that whole thing? Yeah, like you don't get to open your game with like baby deaths and then wonder why people are shocked. No, of course not. Um, and there's no shocking element in a game that is mandatory, right? Like we are all creative, capable human beings. If your game impinges on baby death, maybe take a look at yourself, <laughs> right? Anything else you can do. I was just feeling a question. Back. Thank, Thank you, you for Thank taking you. care of Ronwin. Yeah. Um, so the question was, um, players, uh, how much do they need to know ahead of time essentially to get consent for a shock or a surprise in the game? Okay. Um, oh, I thought you already answered. I did, but if you there's anything you want to add. Okay, at the risk of being repetitive, <laughs> um, I think that um, you can, uh, I mean, I assume probably what Kate said, you get basic consent uh, from the get-go, and you're like, hey, we're gonna play something that is shocking and surprising, I'm gonna throw some things out, there's gonna be these particular topics. If everyone's cool with that, you know, hold on to your hats, because uh, I'm gonna bring it, and remember that you always have the ability to tap out and say no, or if you discover this game isn't for you, run an open table where you can say, hey, this is more than I thought it was gonna be, you all have fun, and I'm gonna go do something else. And I guess following up a little bit on that, like, is it reasonable to, like, run something that could get a little extreme for some people and say, like, hey, if you're not up to this, this isn't the game for you? Like, yeah. I, I mean, I think that there are, like, Bluebridge Pride is actually a great example of a game that is, I mean, can lean in a lot of different ways. But if you're not, if you don't want feminine body horror, maybe if, you, if that whole idea terrifies you, that's not the game for you. You know, there is, you can go play Masks, you can go play, um, you can go play uh, DD, you can go play a million other games. You can play Call of Cthulhu for a different type of horror that is more in the genre that you're looking for. Yeah, like my game, Crossroads, when I go to run that, I'm like, so just so you know, like all of the content warnings are on the table. Like it has animal abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, othering, racism, homophobia, queerphobia, transphobia. Uh, like it's got it. You name it, it's probably it's like 1930s dark carnival. It's got it. If that's not your jam, totally okay. I'll take you over to the game table. This is a convention game. I'll take you over to the game table and we'll help you find something else. Right? And I've had people bail. I've totally had people bail on my game, and that's okay. Like I don't take it personally. Um, and the key is to make sure that you like it's totally okay. It's also okay to bail halfway through the game. People are more, I, th I think they're more likely to bail at the beginning of a game mm -hmm. than they often are halfway through. Yeah. So by setting that expectation early on, um, you're doing everyone a favor. They have a time, they have time to, to go do something else with their day. And they're less, um, I think that a lot of people struggle in the middle of a game knowing that everyone has started to tell this story collectively to go to walk away from it. Um, so. Yeah, and I'm going to add a piece of advice to that, too, is when you're running a game that's high, that's like higher impact or horror trauma focused, um, I think it is actually your responsibility as a person running those games to know the signs of distress, right? Like, I feel like if I'm going to run Bluebeard's Bride, that is like visceral feminine horror about what happens to women in domestic violence situations, it is my job to know what being triggered looks like. And it is my job as the facilitator to call the game when someone can't call it for themselves. Um, so, and this is a little bit tricky because you're kind of removing agency from someone who's like, no, I'm fine. Right, and like they, sh they shrink. Um, but I think in games like that, I think it is your personal responsibility because you're the one facilitating it to say, I'm uncomfortable running the game for and for my safety, I think we should end the game. And I think we tend to run games into the ground. Like when the bus is on fire, we keep driving. <laughs> Instead of being like, the bus is on fire now, we're gonna pull over and get off. Um, and like I think, I don't even think that's often discussed in games. 
Like I, I've only known one text that had that description. Like here's when you need to leave, and it's because I wrote that text. Uh, I haven't read it in another game where it's like here's where you need to end the game if this happens. Uh, and I think that's largely irresponsible of us who are writing and running horror and hard hard topics, mm -hmm. right? Like how do you handle that in One Child's Heart? Uh, yeah, I mean, there is um, there is actually a section. Um, we got um, a, a child psychiatrist to contribute to um, what the science of a traumatic reaction looks like, um, both uh, in the game as a facilitator, as you're role-playing those things to keep those stories honest, but um, for the players at the table, um, some basic things that kind of carry across the board uh, where um, you can, like, look at somebody and tell okay, something's going on, so at the very least you can call a break and say, hey, okay, hey, let's talk about this, let's go get a drink of water and have those discussions. And um, starting off every, um, uh, every session uh, with the idea and the conversation that you, every single person at this table is more important than any story that we tell. Um, that life is way too short to hurt yourself, hurt somebody else playing a game of pretend. And uh, so that's how we talk about it in the book. Um, when did you know you needed that for one child's hire? Like, when was the moment where you were like, I need to hire Brian? Um, so, um, I guess it was because I, I can't uh, ethically make the assumption that people come with the skill set that I do. Um, and so I need to give them every single tool that I can. And uh, Brian is professionally trained uh, and has insights that um, while um, instinctively or experientially I might know, he can quantify that in specific terms uh, that are universal and more useful for people. Cool, thank you. Is there any other questions? Yeah? I kind of have some, uh, uh, I was reading up about this and saw just a little Twitter about it that it was really interesting about, um, you mentioned in the beginning that like these X-Cars and Lines of Veils are like your airbags and like this car has to be designed better than just a bunch of airbags. Um, and I was, I was kind of reading the critique about like, you know, they're great and all, but like Lines of Veils kind of makes you really relive a lot of stuff if you're, if you've got PTSD or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And X-Cars don't make up for the fact that like, it's almost like something happened, let's just ignore it, then actually like decompressing and using aftercare to actually address what happened. So I was wondering like outside of those, do you have some favorite like post-game or pre-game kind of ritual like safety stuff or or things that you're just fond of that you've seen in games or using your own games that you really like enjoyed that are not like standard X-Card line scale stuff? So I have complicated feelings on that because what you're talking about is community care, right? It's where we come together to take care of each other. Uh, and Brahman was touching on that a bit with Avery's um, cook for each other, right? Make yeah, meals for each other. But that being said, like yes, lines and veils require people to have the emotional stability to write down things that could hurt them. You're not wrong. A person coming to a table who's going to play Bluebeard's Bride. And is then gonna say, it's upsetting to me to write lines and veils. I'm unclear of why they came to the table to play Bluebeard's Bride. Because part of that is the personal responsibility to your own trauma to know your boundaries. And I appreciate we don't always know our own boundaries, but lines and veils is kind of designed for you to, it's like the first test of being if you could even play the game, right? Like if you're gonna come to Urban Shadows and rightly say, I don't want any torture in here, um, and writing lines of veils down and saying torture upset you, that's fair. But part of the hobby, I think, is entering these imaginary spaces. And until we've come up with a better, we can't account for every person's personal trauma individually, unfortunately, right? And we're not therapists. Most of us aren't therapists. Most of us aren't psychotherapists. Most of us aren't even trained in trauma care. Um, so like I get what you're saying, and I do think community care is where that step comes in, where people are like, hey, you seem to be struggling with this, maybe this isn't the game for you. I think that's a good way to approach it. Um, aftercare and decompression sessions are a good idea. I struggle with the fact that people often use them as therapy, even though they're not therapy. 
I feel like the more space we make there sometimes, the more we allow people to care for people dangerously. So that's where I struggle with that. Like I'm a trauma-informed healthcare professional. Like I'm a massage therapist, but I deal with bodies all the time, and people have a lot of trauma held in their body. Um, and if my client goes off to a friend who massages them and they start bawling and crying, and that person's like, "Oh, it's okay, I got you," I'm concerned, right? Just like I'm concerned if you play a high-impact LARP or role-playing game and you decided. I'm going to do it anyways. You didn't tell anybody you had trauma. You didn't inform anybody you could get triggered. You didn't sign posts that you might need help. And then you break down and people don't know how to care for you properly. Like part of it has to be personal responsibility. Right? And that's how you are a good community member is when you participate that way too. Right? It's not fair for me to go play Bluebeard's Bride and then halfway through it be like, oops, I'm a rape victim. This is really upsetting me now. Sorry I didn't tell you. Right? But it's also not fair to download my trauma on people. So it's, it's a no, balance, sure. balancing act. I've been in that position where, like, you know, it's like aftercare is bleeding into huh. more than that. You know, yeah, so. Right. So, yeah, um, as somebody who wrote a game about sad, traumatic kids and dealing with their memory, um, there are a built in, uh, built into the game One Child's Heart um, is a structure where there is automatic uh, places for in character debrief and um, where the, the characters come out of these memories and they have time to just talk about their experience and what's been happening. Um, and then usually after that we take a break and people also have an opportunity to talk about them as players, as human beings, how the game is affecting them and what's going on. Um, to touch on what Kate said, unfortunately, um, sometimes people use that as an opportunity to talk about the things that they've experienced in their life without consent from anybody else. Um, and I think that without, uh, I think that, in a, that the tools that are built into the game are important, but in addition to that, having an agreement at the beginning that, you know what, uh, I don't want to hear about what happened in your family to your pets. Um, because that's something we've agreed on, is important to take those real-world debrief conversations that are sometimes just um, almost aggressive trauma sharing um, and say, like, hey, I mean, because if you've talked about some of these things before and you say, listen, I, that sounds really tough, but I can't hear this. We've already talked about this. And you can point to that list on the table. There's at least some understanding, both in and out. Yeah, and I think like we really have to be careful because we are in an industry full of people who are hurting, who are super hurting, especially with so many intersectionalities and marginalized identities where people are being hurt all the time and carry a lot of trauma with them and do not have access to mental health care, right? And gaming can be therapeutic. It is not a therapy unless it's being administered by therapists for a therapeutic Right? Like, there's a very narrow margin where gaming is used for that, and it, does, it is used for that. But unless we're therapists, we can't counsel someone through that safely. Yeah. No matter how much I might personally understand with the situation that you're talking about, I am not your clinician and I will never be. Yeah. And it is irresponsible for me to, I'm going to care for you and I'm going to try and get you whatever help that I can inside of that space. But... I'm not the person that is going to rebalance your mental health in those moments. And, and it's unfair, though people have asked multiple times, um, it's unfair to expect that of me. It's also unfair to expect, uh, for me to expect that I'm going to say, oh hey, cool, yeah, you're look kind of upset, well, peace out, I'll see you later. Um, you know, I'm going to do my best to connect you with whatever resources or whatever help I can, but... Yeah, a few years ago, um, I was running a game of Urban Shadows, which is not often a game that gets a lot of tra traumatic experiences out of it, but um, there was a, a scene where um, the mortal character, the aware, um, was trying to protect her werewolf boyfriend, and the werewolf boyfriend got the shit kicked out of him, and I was like, cool, no big deal, whatever. Uh, she messaged me, the player messaged me later, who was playing the aware, to say, wow, that really reminds me of when my dad used to be my puppy. Right? And 
mom was like, holy shit, I'm so sorry, I had no idea. Um, hey, we had an ex car, what could I have done to not do that to you? And she was like, you know what, I didn't even think about it, it just made me remember it later. Uh, she later tried to kill herself and was put in a hospital. Um, and she's, she's fine, she's okay. Um, but it wasn't my responsibility to coach her through that experience. I am in no way trained to help someone deal with what their dad did to their dog and to them as a child, right? No, I don't know, I don't think any amount of a debrief session would have been adequate for someone who was at a point where it caused her to, to try to commit suicide. And sometimes I'm concerned that we create these spaces where we're letting people essentially hand out secondary trauma to each other, right? Where we're like, here's this trauma I encountered, and you're like, wow, I'm not okay now. And I'm sorry, you're not okay, but I'm also not okay. Um, and safety and gaming also needs to take into account like the facilitator who doesn't need to hear your trauma, <laughs> yeah. right? And that's a big consideration. And like, that's I worked on one child's heart in the safety section, and I was like, we need to make sure that GMs don't get unloaded on like you. <laughs> right? So I do think decompression sessions are important, but I think they need boundaries. No, it's something that's not often talked about is like designer and facilitator safety, yeah. which I think is like really key as well. So it's a really good insight. Yeah, that's something that uh, I actually talk about in the book as well, in the advocate section, which is the GM section, um, is you know taking care of yourself inside of those moments, advocating your own consent, uh, making sure you're maintaining your own boundaries, and knowing when it's not healthy for you as a facilitator, regardless of the experience everyone else is having, um, it's not healthy for you to continue when you can say no. Um, Does that help? No, that's extremely helpful. Boundaries are really important. Like, yes. Have enforce your own boundaries <laughs> and enforce them. And like when other people enforce their boundaries, say thank you for doing that. Right? And when they respect your boundaries, say thank you for respecting my boundaries. Mm -hmm. And tell everyone's just really happy that they're being nice to each other. Uh, are there any other questions about safety? Digitals? Things you're struggling with? No. No? Cool. I can go back to the questions. We have 15 minutes-ish. Ish? Yeah. Um, so we're talking about noticing when in a game you need mechanics, mm -hmm. right? Because you're like, ooh, right here, something needs to happen. Um, what is the process of actually building those? Uh, so for, for me, um, I think that uh, understanding uh, your emotional intent of your game, first and foremost, and I think that's true of whether you are doing an entire game from scratch or you're doing a scenario situation um, for people to play through uh, as a one-shot or over a campaign, um, understanding what the heart of the emotion you're trying to connect with and how best to use the tools available to you or tools that you need to come up with to support safe play inside of that, um, I think is kind of where it goes. If you want to run a high-impact game, if you want to run something that is like on the bleeding edge of what most people would find enjoyable, the fact is there is a community out there that is looking for that type of experience. That does not mean you can have that experience and still be responsible and ethical inside of that. And so you sitting down from the beginning and going, okay, this is what this is what I'm trying to create. How do I make sure that people all have an opportunity to buy into this? How do I keep people safe during the process? And um, at the end, how do I make sure that you know we've all met our agreements and followed through? I think is where I certainly approach it. How about you? Oh, it was funny, I was actually thinking about Winchell's heart. Um, so I'm going to divert back to that before I go away. Okay. But, um, I think one of the interesting things that you did was the technician. Mm -hmm. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that as a functionality of safety? Yeah, so um, I, I put in, there's an NPC in the game called the Technician. And uh, what they do is uh, they greet everyone as they come in. They run the machines narratively inside the game. Um, they're the person that uh, when you go into the machine is counting you down and is there uh, when you come out. And you know is watching everybody. And so... Um, this NPC serves multiple purposes as a toolbox for the person facilitating the game. Um, one, 
the 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 uh, technician will often lighten the mood. So uh, when people come out of a really heavy session, when I'm facilitating, I will often uh, have, her name is Helen when I run it, <laughs> um, I'll have her lean in and go, you all look really, looks like you're, it's been a pretty rough experience for you. There are fresh bear claws in the third drawer from the left in the, in the break room. And everybody's like, bear claws? And like, there's this natural lightning of what's going on. Um, if anyone crosses um, a particular line, something that uh, would be unacceptable to say to a child that would elicit a traumatic reaction, um, the facilitator or the technician is the person who pulls them out of the memory narratively inside the game and then has a stern talking to with them in character about why that was unacceptable, about reminds them of what the boundaries of what they've agreed to and talks about the possible repercussions to this imaginary child. Um, on top of that, in the end of the game, um, she also um, goes through, I say she because I, I just decided my technician's name is Helen and I run her the same way every time I facilitate the game, but um, they uh, will um, also give people a moment say you know if you before we leave um, I'm gonna go fill out some paperwork you have a chance to say goodbye I know you won't run into each other for a while she facilitates those conversations inside of game space as well um, to get people talking to get characters and thereby the people that are playing them talking about their experiences there so I think that having I mean she's like a Swiss army knife of safety inside of the game she is. And, um, and all of that information is written in to the facilitator section of the game. This is why this character exists, and this is how you can use it to, to help support safety inside of the game. Yeah, um, for my own games, I've been working on this series of journaling experiences. They're essentially small little micro games um, that are therapeutic, not therapy. Uh, that help people process and examine some emotions through either metaphor or through, it's mostly letter writing. Um, and one of the first things I did, it's like, welcome, thank you for being here. Followed with, here are the boundaries of this game. And the boundaries are, you need to be hydrated. You need to eat food. You need to have time to think and decompress. And you need a safe space. Are you warm? Are you comfortable? Right, so it's a lot of body care. What I'm actually doing is building self-care into the game. Uh, and I don't think enough games actually approach, like, here's how you take care of yourself, my child. Like, you're important too. Um, especially into intense experiences, because that's often when we don't drink water. That's when we're not eating food. That's when we're stressed. It's when we close down. It's when our body, like, activates parasympathetics. Like, it's, um, it's, it's a whole chemical component. And when you start adding in, like, ways to make your body happy, it will actually help you engage in these spaces in a safer way. Um, and that's how I've been building safety tools into my games recently. And I don't even call them safety tools anymore. Um, I tend to call them support tools or boundaries. Um, because I think if you go to a lot of therapy, your therapists are like, so let's talk about boundaries. Because we all suck at them. Uh, and I think when people hear the word boundaries, they're more inclined to respect them. Then when I say it's a support tool, they're like, okay, cool. Yeah? Uh, so this is a, a question I've been trying to figure out how to, how to word. Cool. Um, it's late. I typically, I typically don't make games that, that are intended to evoke intense emotional responses. I tend to do fun and silly games. Yeah. Um, what would a set of boundaries or safety tools or whatever look like for a game like that that you know you don't expect it to come up too often but just in case and uh, do you have an example of a game that you think does that well I do um, so actually a game designed for children uh, no thank you evil um, from Money Cook oh, Games. Yeah, okay, yeah. I think that is a great example of the expectation is this is a game for kids being run by adults and sometimes by other children that there's exciting things and uh, with an understanding that sometimes a child may become uh, afraid of something or something's intense and so they have everything um, categorized about you know like 
uh, you know, I think uh, one of the things is what, uh, like under the bed is one of the sections, and that's for older children because that's the scarier, spookier, ghosty things. Um, but at its core, and the title of the game is when something comes up, that you don't want, built into it is, no, thank you, evil. And that is a very sweet, affirming thing to be able to say. And I think it's a great example of they're not expecting somebody to come and, you know, like bring the darkest of the darkest to no, no, thank you, evil. But it still allows everyone to say yes and everyone to say no. Yeah. um, I really like the dreams mechanic from uh, Golden Sky Stories. Okay. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that game. Uh, somewhat, yes. It's like Care Bears, yeah. the RPG. Yeah, yeah. You like your cute little hand game, you run around and you help kids get along, mm-hmm. and it's great. Uh, but there's this dreams mechanic where you throw gems at each other because you're like, you're being so cute, it's the best. It's like fan mail. Yeah. So what it does is it creates a self-perpetuating system where you're rewarding the positive behaviors that you like, and you're kind of ignoring the negative behaviors, much like you do with dogs, where it's like positive reinforcement, right? And then people are like, I will do anything for those gems. So it was self-perpetuating. Yeah, and you'll you'll see that even in uh, more traditional games like Savage Worlds with Benny's, um, you reward the things that you want people to do. Yeah. So I think reward systems are a really clever way for more fun, funish game like Gonzo-y games, if you will, or not like the Serenian games. Right. Uh, to do that, uh, the other one I think is um, I always get it confused. It's either Archipelago Three. Swords Without Master that do um, when you're doing something and it's breaking tone because that's often what happens is people break tone in those games uh, you say try another way right and it's not like you're saying that's stupid what are you doing you're like you know what can you try another way right and it's an inviting to a conversation instead of shutting someone down because like the X card can be used for tonal conversations as well um, I have seen it used that way because breaking tone can really throw your game off and then everyone's like, what's this trait we're all in? Um, I find the idea of saying like, hey, can you just try another way? It's, the tone seems a little bit off. I have that conversation a lot in Fall of Magic because yes. people are like, I'm, I have one guy being like, I'm going to be a Ghostbuster. I was like, what? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that 100% in that... Uh, not only do you not want somebody to be like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm an axe murderer in your sweet teen superheroes game, but also you don't want somebody to, in a, uh, in a heavy, emotionally driven horror game to say, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a fisherman that just fell off the sea and I'm wearing my big green slicker and uh, I got a hook hand and I'm going to, I mean, just like, but is being silly over the top and like, anyone want a fish stick? Um, that is, uh, those are both equally detrimental, I think. And so finding yeah. another way is a yeah. good. Um, and you build that language into when you start the game, you're like, so hey, when things get a little off the rails or they don't make sense anymore, we feel like it's not quite what we want it to be anymore. Just say the words, hey, let's try another way. Right, so you get buy-in at the beginning and then you use it yourself. The key to all of these tools is always use them yourself. Okay, um, that's kind of it, we got a wrap. Uh, where can people find you on social media? Uh, you can find me at Camden on Twitter, uh, Camden.com, CamdenW on Facebook. I'm luckily got my name just about everywhere. I'm old and a nerd. <laughs> cool. Uh, and you can find me at BlueStockingETC on Twitter. Or BlueStockings.ca, my website. Thank you very much. BlueStockingETC on Twitter or BlueStockings.ca for my blog. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Hmm? Came in to give the two minute warning.